Welcome to the Portion Podcast, a weekly discussion of the Torah portion of the week. I'm your host, Aaron Roller, here with my co-host, Rabbi Jonathan Bienenfeld. Hello, everyone. This is the show where we open up the uh, the Torah and we look at the look at what the the Parshat Hashavuah is. Not not like a not like a Sefer Torah. We're not like sitting in front of like a Torah scroll right now. They don't know that. I mean, we. We are sitting in front of a Torah scroll right now. That's what I meant to say. We're sitting in front of a Sefer Torah. Absolutely. So if you hear the crinkling of parchment, not parchment, um, what is the English word for cloth? Parchment. Par- is it parchment? Yeah, totally. Parchment is made of animal hide? That's what makes it parchment? Yeah, I mean, not, not like parchment paper that you bake cookies on. No. But yeah, parchment. Hmm. Okay. Well, if you hear the sound of parchment crinkling, crinkling, now you know why. We're baking cookies, folks, and <laughs> and reading from the Torah. This this uh, so much going. What a busy day. We just uh, we just had many conversations off mic. The uh, at the time of this recording, it's the uh, Israeli election results are coming in. It sounds like uh, still trickling in. Yeah, I read a I saw a great thing on Facebook earlier today. Um, kind of, kind of amazing. I, I wanted to share it with you, but of course you're, you're not on Facebook. So I had to wait until now. Um, this, uh, where's my, where's, where, how do I find my own posts? Someone posted this, uh, this quote from this Rabbi Moshe Alpert, who, uh, do you know who he is? Have you ever heard of him? I had a Rebbe whose name was not Rabbi Moshe Alpert. I'm going to say <laughs> that's sure. not but, him. No, but Rabbi Alpert, Rabbi Alpert, if you're listening, hello. But uh, it says that he he was a a member of the uh, member of the pre state old Yeshuv the the old religious Jews who all lived in uh, lived in Jerusalem. There's a picture of him. I think it's him. It looks like a, a pious old man, and he he talks about basically how exciting it was to vote in Israel's first election. Um, yeah, it says uh, just I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but. But he says, uh, with a thrill of awe and holiness, I handed my identity card over to the chairman and he read out my name from my card and from the book of voters. Then the holiest moment of my life arrived, the moment that neither my father nor my grandfather had the privilege to experience in their lifetimes. Only me in my time, in my lifetime, did I merit to experience such a holy and pure moment as this. What joy for me and my portion. Did you read that because he ended off with the word portion? That's the only reason. That's the only reason. Um, but no, I thought that was a, a beautiful, really beautiful. a that. beautiful thing. And you think about what what uh, what Zionism uh, could mean or should mean that that something like that comes to mind. The, and I thought you would enjoy that. Yeah, I love that. That was great. To uh, to look for a, a segue to that, the um, you wonder now that there is a, a third Commonwealth of uh, in Israel, if if maybe it's time that uh, that we brought Saras back. You read my mind. <laughs> Um, well, uh, well. Tchelet is back. That's the, uh, you know, the, the blue string that people wear in their, in their talus or their tzitzis. So, you know, maybe it's time, uh, for, for Sarah to make, to make its, uh, its resurgence. That will be a true sign of, uh, Reshit Smichat Ku'ulatenu, the, the going, beginning of the flowering of our, of the messianic redemption. I'm going to go a step beyond. I'm going to suggest that Sarah has returned. And the reason why we don't what? see it. Is because nobody is speaking Lashon Hara. Well, that's <laughs> stop laughing. Uh, <laughs> Let it sink in a little bit. What a what a what a nice idea. Thank um, you. I well that is that is that does raise an interesting question that that I was thinking about. Like how 
much less than her did you have to speak in order to get Sarat? I I I don't know. Akazias. Uh I'm not sure. No, I I'm mean like sure. and I mean this in the sense that that certainly with um well we know we know we have one we have one famous I I suppose uh personality who receives Sarah's sort of two right the first is really the second is Miriam you know that Miriam received Sarah's seemingly after just uttering one one line one comment about her brother now in that instance it was an extraordinarily ho- holy person speaking about an extraordinarily holy person so it could be that the whole thing just becomes you know condensed down to just a few few short words does that like do, do those things have to even out because in other words God would be like Oh, Miriam's so holy. We shouldn't have to give her Sarat. Oh, but she's talking against Moshe, so he's he's very holy too. So I guess I w- it I all would, kind of no, I would, it all I, kind of levels out. I, I don't think it levels out. I think it's I think that's sort of uh, that's two strikes against. I would think. Oh, you know, being a holy person yourself, it makes yeah, the, the stakes are raised, like like we saw in Parshat Shemini, <laughs> this idea of of you know bekrovai ekadesh that Hashem becomes sanctified most through those who are closest with Him. They're held to the highest standard. Because they are on the highest level and therefore ought to know, ought to know better, ought to know better in a way that you know that we can't even imagine. Meaning their their struggles are not the struggles of the of the rank and file, so that their failures aren't even things that we you know considered necessarily struggling with in the first place. Um, meaning to say that that for all we know it may well have been that the exact same comments were uttered by other people, but it didn't affect anybody else with respect to to, to a manifestation of Tarat and only Miriam. So it's interesting in, in the sense, and I, I only say this in terms of like thinking about what it what it must have been like. That if if you got Sarat, there might have been a secret level of um, pride, actually. That like you know, uh, on the one hand, it is uh, sort it's it's a it's a terrible reprimand and it's embarrassing, but on the other hand, it it kind of it signifies that you rate. In God's book, that you're, you're getting a punishment, at least. You know, I suppose. I mean, you know, he's on, you know he's paying attention yeah, to you. Yeah, it just depends on how on how many people it actually afflicted. Meaning, if if there were, if it were the case that you know we know of at least one recorded case of Tzarat in in Chumash, which is Miriam, if it's the case that it was her and uh, you know, and then um, I don't know, a few months later, uh, you know, there was uh, there was Frank. You know, Frank also got Sarat. So then Frank might be walking around saying, well, you know, it's true. I must have done something really terrible, but it's only because I'm such a holy person on the level of, of Miriam. But for all we know, this was much more commonplace, much more commonplace. And if that, if that was the case, then, you know, this was just, uh, it was, it was probably much more embarrassing than it was a matter of pride. All right. So let's, let's get into this week's Torah portion. We talked about Sarat, this, um, biblical skin condition, which, which you get for, it, it's spiritually caused. It's caused by some spiritual deficiency. The main understanding is it comes from, uh, Lashon Hara, from, uh, gossip and speaking poorly about other people. This week's Parsha continues the trend. It goes on to talk about, firstly, how you end this ordeal of the Tzara'at, which is kind it it there's a, there's a lot of a lot of fascinating stuff that comes out of that and then it talks about tarat of houses uh last week we talked about tarat of clothing and again that's your clue that this is not a um a biological or your normal kind of uh malady uh that your clothing is getting it and your house right, is getting it this is not a it. purely dermatological condition no and then the the torah portion finishes up by talking about um other 
other kinds of uh, emissions which cause you to be in a state of, of tuma, which we reluctantly translated as impurity. And we that was reluctant because it, it doesn't make you a, a bad person. It doesn't, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a, a judgment in, in that regard, but it does distance you from the ability to come close to God in the tabernacle or the temple. You can't, uh, you can't go in. So that's that's the parsha in a nutshell. Um, let's talk about the the um, process of coming back from Sarad. And there's a so. Firstly, it's very interesting, sort of a parallel to, I guess the the next the part the portion we're going to read next. We're so I guess there's a logistical note, which is that we we're we're sort of figuring out what next week is going to look like because. Um, because of the timing of Pesach, there is uh, no Torah portion of the week next Shabbos. So we're uh, we're on the fence. If we have time to do maybe something for Pesach, maybe we will. We might just be too busy getting ready for Pesach. <laughs> uh, we would love to put something out for for all of you, but uh, and some some things might be in the works, but. But it's uh you know well we might we might just be happy to have have the week off, uh so so we'll we'll see about that. But the next time we we uh, discuss the Torah portion, we'll be talking about the um the Yom Kippur ceremony. What what in the times of the the temple, what the high priest would do because that's kind of where things were focused. And famously, there's this ceremony with um two goats. In the temple, where one is sacrificed and one is also sort of sacrificed, but it's it's thrown off of a cliff. Maybe it's not a sacrifice in the terms of carbon, but it's it gives its life for something. Similarly, here the person who's coming out of having this sarat uh, skin condition, they come forward with two. Well, it's not exactly the same, but there's this idea of the two. It's sort of the two. You go your way, and and you know one goes one way, one goes the other way, right? Where there's these two birds, you have to bring two birds. What are they? Turtle doves? Is that what those are? Yeah, which are basically pigeons. Is that right? Effectively. Yeah, I don't, I I don't so. know. Do you? Do, would you be able to tell a turtle dove from a pigeon in a lineup? Yes, but only because I have smicha. Oh, okay. That's not actually true. I, did I don't you? Think that I did could. your rabbinic? Did your rabbinic major come with a minor in ornithology? <laughs> That's uh, yes. <laughs> That's great. I could also tell the difference between a cardinal and a blue jay for what it's worth. Oh, that's very impressive. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. I only say that because I'm colorblind. <laughs> I'm not, just for the record. It was a joke. No offense to anyone who, out there who's, who's colorblind. I'm not trying to. Or anyone out there who's a blue jay. Or anyone or, out or, there from Toronto. Or, or, or an ornithologist. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely not the one. We have, we have the utmost respect for ornithologists. Uh so, point being, the um, they they bring these two birds. They have to bring these two birds, and one bird, one bird, <laughs> one bird becomes a a, a carbon chatat, right? It's right. A, a sin offering, and the priest takes its blood and puts it in a bowl with spring water. Is that right? Am I? I'm sorry. Let me let me get my details right here because there's definitely water and there's definitely blood. Um, there's, there's yeah. the spring water that yeah. the, the bird is slaughtered in. There's like a basin or like the a one bird shall be slaughtered into an earthenware water. vessel over spring water. Right. So yeah, you have this bowl that has diluted blood basically or, or bloody water, whichever you, I guess is that like an, that might be an optimist 
pessimist kind of question. Is it bloody water or, or diluted blood? Either way. And then the second bird, he takes, um, this hyssop branch, um, or a bundle, a bundle of hyssop. I don't know, I don't know if hyssop really. That's comes for branches, especially. That's for our, our botanist listeners. So it takes a hyssop, hyssop, a bundle of hyssop and, and, and the living bird and dips them into this bloody water. Right. Along with a piece of red wool. And a piece of red. It starts out red or it gets red from the blood? No, it starts off red. Uh-huh. And then he takes the, the wool and the hyssop and the living turtle dove that are all now have, have blood dripping off of them and sprinkles them over the person who is offering, the person who's, you know, had this, uh, tarot. And that is the thing that sort of purifies the person or it's one important step in their becoming pure. And then the bird flies away. Bird is sent off. Right. This sounds, uh, like a magic trick uh, or something. It's, it's fine. Oh, I, I, so I, the truth is I never thought about that comparison to the two goats of, of Yom Kippur. It is really interesting to think that you have, right, these two parallel animals. One of them is offered as a sacrifice in the most traditional sense. And the other one, both are chata, both are chata. Right. And the other one, and the other one is, is sent elsewhere. In the instance of the goat sent off the cliff and dies. And in the instance of the bird, it's, you know, set free and, you know, and is and is allowed to is allowed to live. In the case of Yom Kippur, there's this whole um, drawing of lots to uh, to determine which right. is going which way. But even here, I mean, I think I, I I'm trying to remember where, but I, I definitely feel like in my education, at some point there there was the idea that it's probably in, it's probably in the Rashi um, that, that although I didn't see it um, that you know you have to make the right decision that one one goes one way and one goes the other and i don't know there's something about this uh this bloody bird uh you know it's bloodied but it's it's flying away and and you know living its life now that i think probably is you know we we talked about whether or not sacrifices or or not whether or not we talked about the fact that sacrifices are supposed to make you feel like it it, it could be you on the altar right and there's, this, uh, there's an ident- identification process, and in this case, I, I would think the identification is is very clear with this with this uh, the bird, one. right? With those going yeah. off, and I and I got to go back the same way that he gets to go back to wherever it is that he yeah goes back to the coop yeah, but also I mean you know but he's he's uh he's but he's bloodied he's he's you know he sort of had an encounter with right. something he's that was brush with death a brush with death, and now he's and and Sarat I think in many ways can be considered a a brush with death. Your skin kind of becomes cadaverous, right? So you've had a, a great word, cadaverous, yeah. cadaverous ornithologist. We are, you know, if if there are any. By the way, I just want to point out, I, we don't any mean, high school juniors getting ready for your we SAT. Don't mean subscribe, any, subscribe any to the show. Offense to any cadavers out there that might be listening to this. No podcast. offense to ornithologists or, or botanists, botanists or, or the colorblind or, or cadavers or cadavers. We are or trying to jays. be. We don't. We're going to get in trouble. Someone's going to get upset. Well, um, we're going to get an angry email from a cadaver from from a dead botanist. Um, no. Anyway, so I got to tell you, there, I'm sorry to everybody. There, there is an. There's, we're recording late tonight. There is an incredible explanation about the two about the two goats from. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, who notes that, and he actually draws from from the Gemara, which actually speaks about how those two goats need to be of the same height, of the same appearance, of the same weight. Neither one of those two goats is meant to be is meant to be any uh, any different from the other. 
And yet one of them ends up going up on the Mizbeach, serves as basically the primary, almost like the primary category. That, that goat is like the protagonist of the entire, of the entire Yom Kippur service. That is the chatas. That is the sin offering that is offered on behalf of all the Jewish people in order to effect an appropriate, an appropriate atonement. And then there is this other goat that's sent off the cliff. What separates, what separates the two? The one that goes off the cliff just goes off the cliff and that's it. It's just sort of shoot off the end of the cliff and there it goes. The one that ends up becoming closer and basically serves as the primary focus of everything that's taking place on Yom Kippur goes through the actual rigors of the avoda, goes through the rigors of the actual service. And it needs to be slaughtered and the blood needs to be placed and then it goes up on the Mizbeach and it's divided and all of that. But the point is that is that from the outset, there was no indicator whatsoever that one was more appropriate for the divine service than just being sent off the cliff. And what Rav Hirsch speaks about is that that is really where we need to arrive in our process of teshuva, that when we really, when we really think about what it means to, to come back and actually atone for our sins and actually regret and feel remorseful over our sins, it needs to be in that capacity, not that woe is me, I've been, I've been, I've been given this lot in life whereby I can't come close and I can't be spiritual and I can't be holy just because of my very nature and because of who I am and I wasn't given the kinds of talents and abilities that all those who are holier and who are more spiritual that surround me actually have and have been endowed with. It's just a matter of choice. It's a matter of of, of what we're willing to do. Are we willing to to go through the the difficulties, the avoda, the actual service and making ourselves holy? And I wonder if there's something about that about that here, that as we as we uh, invite the Mitzorah into into trying to identify with maybe both of these birds, it's it's sort of uh, it's sort of thinking along along those those same lines that you know don't believe that the one that serves that the one that just you know gets to go free and who knows whatever comes of it, as opposed to the one that actually serves to to atone for the for the for the sins. It's because there's anything really that separates. That sort of separates one from the other. One is going to go back. You know, it's pointed out that we specifically use birds because they chirp and they talk and they chatter. Uh, so one is just going to go back, but one is going to serve a much holier purpose that, uh, you know, he's about to be introduced back into the community. He, he can't allow himself to believe that, oh, uh, you know, I'm this way and I ended up out here because I'm naturally gregarious and I'm naturally social. And it's sure it's so much easier to be holy when you're just naturally a bookworm and when you're a hermit and you don't mind just sitting in the, uh, you know, sitting in, in yeshiva for hours upon end. You have no need to talk to anybody. What am I supposed to do? I'm the kind of person who talks. I'm the kind of person who who who, who has a social life. So this is just the inevitable. Inevitable, and I'll probably end up back here again. It needs to be reminded that it's really a matter of choice. At the exact same bird, one goes back off to chirp and to chatter, but one actually has the ability to to sort of uh, elevate itself and 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 be- become or, or or is destined. I don't know about destined, but 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 enjoys a much uh, a much holier sort of uh, elevated existence. So it's interesting because in that in that interpretation or in that symbolism of it. The one who's better off is the one that's dead. Right. And I think that we say, <laughs> I don't, I don't mean to, and again, I, I mean no disrespect to the cadavers. Uh, the, the, the point is not, remember that as you brought up, in no small measure, the purpose of the carbonate is to identify with that which gets killed, right? And it's to recognize that there is something 
holy about giving of oneself. We say when it comes to the when it comes to the fast days that we there's uh you know there are these there are these uh you know feel that are recited where we actually hope that our sort of the the blood that's been drained right the blood that has not been thickened because of our lack of nourishment on this day should be offered up like the blood of a carbon. We we actually view our own. Masirat Nefesh, our own sacrifice, self-sacrifice, sacrifice for the cause of holiness, sacrifice for the cause of Judaism, to be almost like an ongoing sort of carbon. We do view on 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 or on some level that 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 carbon, that animal is actually fortunate. We we do not put ourselves in the exact same position. We don't we don't run after we don't run after misplaced uh, martyrdom. We want to live more than it is. We want to. We want to live with Kiddush Hashem more than we want to die for Kiddush Hashem. But uh, but the point is that that we do indeed identify with the sacrifices, and we we see that as being an elevated existence, and we try to raise ourselves up in much the same way. I, I mean, I, I I like the idea of the. I, I mean, I guess we both went different different ways with it, and I guess they're both they're both. Uh, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. I don't know. I don't know. I guess. You'll learn what you what you can from from either way, um, whether whether or not it's better to that the to be the bird that that got to be elevated as a sacrifice, or whether you're the the bird that that flies away, kind of uh, you know a little damaged, but but wiser for the wear. Um, yeah, mine definitely sounds more morbid now that I think about it. Yeah, that's that's all I'm saying. It's yeah. it's, it's good, but it's yeah. it's a little more. Yeah, I'm still gonna stick with it. But a little, a little darker, a little dark, a little uh, dark. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Speaking of darkness, um, the next thing the 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 Torah portion talks about is the houses. Now, in my mind, this so it talks about what happens if you have these uh these red or green marks start to grow in your house. Your house starts to look kind of weird. Um, you call in similar to with a skin condition, you call in a priest and they, they take a look and they'll, they'll shut your house for a week. I love that there's like practical, you might call this, um, I mean, it's not, you know, it sounds a little bit like a loophole is like take everything out of your house because if anything's in the house when it is declared to be impure, that stuff will become impure. So just empty it all out now. Um, and definitely brings to mind when there was, uh, a case of bed bugs going around my apartment building in Manhattan that like, I, I think I, there was one Sunday we washed, we washed everything twice, um, just to, to make sure we hadn't seen them. We thought maybe, so I can only imagine what, you know, that was just the clothing and, you know, the, but the bed bugs aren't actually there until the exterminator says so. Uh, well, in a sense, they're very hard to detect. So you, you know, you have to, Interesting. if, if you can see that the bed bugs are there, you're in trouble usually. Got it. Um, but well, anyway. what I meant was, <laughs> as compared to Tarat, where that was really the case, where it's yes. not, it's not Tarat until the Cohen says so. Yeah, right. And so for that reason, it's not really, it's not really a loophole. But, but, um, but anyway, so the, the, he goes into this empty house and he sees, and I, I was wondering if there's chalk involved, like if he would make a mark on the wall to show where it stopped. It just says he sees, you know, he, he shut, he sees it and then he will, shut the house for a week and see if it grows over the course of the week. I was just... Chalk outline. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like the practical way to go. I don't know if there's any... Mm, sounds good. Any halachas about about how he would measure Some it. Some sort of marking, you know. Yeah. He shuts the house down, and then if it grows, I think, if it grows, um, and then it, it proves to be tzara, then then they take the bricks of the house out. They cut that section 
of the wall away. Right. And they put them, it says they put them outside the town in, in an impure place. Right. So this to me seems like, like the, uh, like the burial ground in like a Stephen King novel where, you know, this is like some kids are going to be playing on these bricks. Yeah. I dare you to go to the place with the, with the leprous walls. Like it's just, I, I, I live in, I live for the expectation that one day there will be an archaeological excavation of. Well, look, we have this today where there's the concept of, of a landfill, meaning let's, what are we supposed to do with all this stuff that nobody wants to or can or should go near anymore? I don't know. Let's find some big hole in the ground in a place that nobody really cares about and we'll just dump it there. The problem is that, you know, as, as population continues to grow, it gets more and more difficult to just avoid these places and we're producing more and more garbage. But, but there needs to be a place where people are not interacting with this, with this tumma, with this impurity, and it needs to be placed somewhere where nobody's going to go. Oh, definitely. It's just, it's like the elephant graveyard. The, but uh, I, by, by the way, I just, I, just one point on, on what you already brought up, but it's, it's to me, it's such a remarkable thing that, that this does not become Tsara'at until the Kohen actually comes in and declares it so. I think we often think about sort of this, you know, this partnership between between God and man, that God sort of invites man into the process and, you know, help me. We spoke about it, I think, when it came to the the Melechet HaMishkan, the construction of the Mishkan, specifically using the same term, Melacha, or labor, constructive labor, work, enterprise, that God himself employs when he's actually creating the world. And it's almost like that now we're going to sort of build the worlds together. But we, we think about that, I think, typically in the sense that, you know, like we, we go off and we try to make the world, you know, a better place and we try to engage and we try to earn a living and we try to, you know, build our families and ourselves and our communities, whatever. We know that God is really behind it all. What's so remarkable about this is that here it's, it's when it comes to something extremely, uh, completely spiritual, right? This is a spiritual process that Hashem is inviting man into and saying that it will not be there. There is nothing, there is no such thing as something that is inherently, or at least when it comes to this, to, to this tzarat, it's not that it either is or it, or it isn't. It's only once you actually make the call, meaning I am not going to dictate in my Torah, says God, that it is considered to be tzarat based on these criteria, you actually have to see it with your own eyes and you have to be the one to, to make the call based on some of these laws, based on some of these, these, uh, these, these criteria. But the fact is you're going to be the one to actually do it. I think it's, I think it's remarkable that that occurs within the Torah itself. So what, what if you never, what if you never go to the coin? What if you never got the coin? What if you never go to the coin? You just hang up a picture over the spot. I think it's, it's, at some point it's going to, you know, and then the warden comes in and he like throws a pick, uh, the, the stone at it and <laughs> hold your, you know, you're nowhere to be found. You're out in a, some, some pipe somewhere. That seems like a good way to go. You know, and uh, what do you, what do you think about that Sarat? Fuzzy bridges. <laughs> Something like that. So um, I, I, I mean, I think it, it behooves you. I think it's in your best interest. Remember if I, you want it, I don't know, you want to just let that go. And people I mean, live with a lot, you know. I mean, in a, in a small home, you you got this tarot that's just like that's our we we're, we're not asking the cone about it. It's and look, just, it, may, it's, uh, it may be right. I I have to believe that in this entire process, that people were actually, you know, that people were 
maybe better than we're making them out to be. That if you if you realized and recognized that basically you were being you were being given divine rebuke, you wanted to do whatever you possibly could to to make it right. I, I yeah, I, I would I would certainly hope so. Um, so the one one thing that that struck me, and I don't know if you have any uh, insight into this, is that the marks on the wall are specifically described as being uh red or or green interesting i I don't even know the the language is like also kind of doubled it it says it's um yarak yarak rakot or adam damot that they are green or red that that color scheme in addition to uh you know the implication for the holiday season here in uh, the united states um it it actually brought to mind the earlier part of the parsha with the hyssop and the blood, that there's this mm. there's this parallel red and green uh, color scheme on the uh, on the at the end of the process when things are getting are getting purified. There's red and green as well. That's sort of like the selected palette for for Tarad. Yeah, definitely. If you were doing a film adaptation of this uh, of of this parsha, I don't know what the plot would be, but I do know <laughs> that. I do know that your your color palette would have lots of of reds and greens. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. It's but I, don't, I mean like I, I I recall you gave a class once about the uh you related the red of the red cotton to um to in the book of Joshua Sefer Yehoshua where there's like a they they're gonna take over the city of of Jericho the the famous uh jazz age uh, song Joshua. In the Battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down, but right. but tied on the walls was a a red, um, a red uh, bendel, <laughs> red, yeah, a red scarf, scarf, yeah, some sort of some sort of string, yeah. And there was some connection there. You thought? Well, I or? thought not so much here, but perhaps with with the carbon Pesach. I thought ah, uh, okay. Also, also very topical. Also very topical, and 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 also. I mean, there's there's clear overlap here with Mitzorah as as well, uh, in that there's uh, in that there's also hyssop employed specifically to use for the you know for the dipping, uh, and that's what was used to be able to paint the actual blood on the doorposts of the. Uh, back in Egypt, when God tells them to take the goat and the lamb, lamb, the lamb, goat, lamb or goat, yeah, and and to the blood, put it on there, which is the source for mezuzah. So what I thought, yeah. perhaps, when it comes to is it just struck me as being really interesting that here you have this entire city being destroyed, and there's going to be a house that's saved, and the mark that's going to indicate which house is supposed to be saved in the instance of 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 Joshua coming into Jericho and sparing only Rachav's house is that there was going to be at the entrance to the home there was going to be something red that was hanging or that served as this as this marker. And it just struck me as being very comparable, very similar to what we see on in, in the original the original Pesach story, the first Pesach story in in Egypt itself, that the Jews specifically had to take this red blood and they were going to mark it, and while everybody else is being is being killed, there's going to be slaughter everywhere. So it's those Jewish homes are being spared. And I thought of it specifically as, you know, that that Hashem is sort of uh providing providing a a, a model of of caring for his people. Uh, caring for those who have who have already reached out to him, who have reached out to him for for help and for protection, and he and he and he makes he makes do on it. He makes good on it, 
and that you find a similar thing when it comes to the time of, of Yoshua, that here they're coming into the land of Israel, and there's somebody who had offered help and who had reached out for help and had, had come with sort of a, a pure heart, and they're reenacting. It's sort of like a uh, it's, it's a reenactment of, of that original passing over, that we're going to pass over your home and we're going to protect you because you've, you've sought out our help and because, frankly, you've provided help. You've, you've shown interest in having a relationship and we're going to... We're going to respect that and we're going to we're going to defend that. We're going to protect that. And I think specifically in the land of Israel, that's you know, I just spoke about this idea of sort of like partnering with with God. God really protects protects and, and keeps his nation really all by himself from the time that we are ready to leave Egypt until the time that we actually get into Israel. And then the challenge of being in Israel is recognizing that now we have to sort of fend for ourselves. But nevertheless, recognize that it's really God's providence that's actually allowing us to do that. To do that anyway, it becomes a little bit more murky. But this maybe is sort of the Jewish people stepping up and actually playing the role that God did in Egypt when they're first coming into Israel, recognizing that sort of the the shoe is on the other foot now, and now it becomes incumbent upon them to actually serve as the protective force for everybody else under their watch, under their guard. So it seems like that might be wrapped up in the idea here. I mean, it's, it's, it is very striking that for this, uh, person who's coming, coming off of this, uh, tzara, that they, that they have blood dripping on, they, they have blood sprinkled on, on their bodies, uh, in order to, to be purified. But I think that that explanation that you give kind of, I'm not saying it's the explanation, but it, 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 there's some resonance there. The idea that, like, you know, spread, generally, <laughs> not in all cases, but in some cases, um, that this uh, um, uh, spreading, sprinkling, that that you know, putting the putting out this red, whether it's blood or since the red color sort of has some something to do with with being saved or with with coming back. And here it's also a beginning, right? Yeah, it's yeah, also yeah. a beginning. It's right. It's 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 starting over. I mean, it's interesting. Also, we we sort of skipped over a little bit, but we're still there. That part of the process is is apart from bringing these birds and and the blood and the hyssop it's also a complete shaving of the entire body yeah and it is very much a process of of rebirth right it's 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 being born anew it's coming back in it's being fresh i mean it's being it's being smooth it it's, must have been so itchy after a few days i think that's documented <laughs> are you serious no i don't no. I, I don't believe so i don't believe so um i know i mentioned rehearse already but rehearse has such an interesting thing about this idea of you know, of of shaving as opposed to letting hair grow out. And he notes that the growth of hair, that hair effectively serves as an insulator. Hair serves as a barrier between myself and my environment. Meaning the way that, let's say, animals are able to protect themselves during the winter is that they grow their coats out longer. And the way that they are able to sort of manage when the weather gets warmer is that their their coats become, become shorter. They shed and their coats become shorter. So as an instance of somebody who is specifically trying to separate himself from society points to the Nazir. Right? The Nazir grows his hair out long. It's not for very long. Nazarite vow is really only for 30 days. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've, I've received a haircut within the past 30 days. But the, the point is that symbolically, it's this sense that I'm trying to remove myself. I'm not drinking wine. I'm not being a particularly social. I'm not going to engage in, the, in, in sort of the, the prototypical act of, of, of chesed, of kindness, 
of being involved with burial and in coming in, in, into contact with uh, with dead people. And he uh, and he's he's really trying to just trying to remove himself for a period of time so that he can be more self reflective. He can work on his his own personal relationship with uh, with God at least for a time being, sort of apart from whatever might else be going on in the in the rest of the of the community when the when the um when the the Levium enter enter into their service they're also completely shorn and refer says it's because it's the exact inverse they're they're trying to become public servants and becoming public servants they need to be very well connected and very much attached without any barriers to the rest of the community these are their people they need to serve them they need to be attuned to whatever their needs are. And I think that when it comes to the Mitzorah as well, he is somebody who, because of the way that he spoke, he created barriers. He first has to be sent into, into exile. He has to be placed in solitary confinement. Nobody else is around, is allowed to be around him because he needs to, to know what it feels like to really be set apart. That's what his words did. They created barriers between people. They may have destroyed relationships. They've put people on the outs. He feels that himself in the process of coming back is that he shaves himself in order to, to remove that, that barrier very viscerally to feel that he's completely connected to his environment so that he can properly uh, reacclimate into society. I think that's a great idea to close on as we, uh, you know, maybe our last episode before Pesach when we, many of us will be sitting down with our friends, family, community members, and reintegrating into society. Uh, <laughs> or at least people we haven't seen for uh, for a long time. We mean no offense to uh, any hermits who might be listening to this program. No, we don't want to offend anybody. Anyway, to everybody, a uh, happy Pesach, a Chag Kasher Uh Thank you for, for listening, and uh, we've enjoyed being with you uh, up till now, and we're going to look forward to, uh, to getting back together with you for Parshat Acharemot in uh, two weeks. Um, and maybe there'll be something for Pesach in between. So, uh, you know, keep looking at your podcast feed. The Portion Podcast is recorded in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, produced by Aaron Roller. Our theme music is The Magid's Nigan by Simply Tzvat. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends about it any way you can. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave reviews. Uh, I haven't, haven't had a review in a little bit. So if you're listening to the show, you're enjoying the show, uh, we, 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 it, it really, uh, gives us, uh, a lot of encouragement and it's good for uh getting other people to hear it so please uh please do leave a review follow the show on facebook um you know right on the page let us know what you think uh thank you to uh alana weiss for uh pointing out me not mentioning all of the ways uh all, all the all the all the kosher foodie obsessions uh i look forward to the shabbos cooking competition that i'll be having with uh her family and a couple other families <laughs> this coming weekend Have a good Shabbos, and remember, there is always more to learn.